0: This episode is made possible thanks to ShipStation. If you're wanting to increase brand recognition and create personalized branding that sets you apart, ShipStation's customization features have got you covered. Create branded tracking pages, returns portals, custom emails, and packing slips that leave a lasting impression. Head to shipstation.com au and enter the code shecomsuccess for a bonus 30 days access. Gorgeous. Welcome to She Talks e commerce, the podcast that gives real actionable advice and rare insights into some of the world's most beloved e commerce brands. I'm your host, Lisa Jones, and over the last 14 years, I've built and scaled three multi million dollar online brands, including Eco Originals, the world's greenest nappies and whites brand. But I started exactly where you are now. In this podcast, we'll interview founders and industry experts to uncover the actual strategies they use to get where they are, and we share key takeaways that you can implement to sell more online. If you're currently feeling lonely, overwhelmed, and you know your brand can be destined for so much more, then this is the podcast for you. Let's jump in. Hello, gorgeous ladies, and welcome back to another week here on the She Talks eCommerce potty. First of all, I wanted to thank each and every single one of you for all the love we've received so far on this podcast, that you guys have been listening, tuning in, sharing, and you have kept us staying on the chart since we launched, and we love every single message we get. So if you have found value out of our podcast so far, don't forget to drop us a DM on Insta or make sure you jump onto Spotify or Apple and give our podcast a rating. Now, today's episode is really special to me. I'm actually going to call it out to be one of my favorite potty episodes I've ever done, which is a pretty big call out. Now, the reason for this is that this unique and beautiful lady is creating something very special with her brand, Clipstar. It's special because the product is innovative and unique. It's also manufactured here in Australia, which took her some time and effort to engineer. But I love it because of the resilience that she shows up with every single week in her business. To me, Kelly from Clipstart epitomizes the absolute essence of what a she compreneur needs to be. Someone with absolutely no experience whatsoever, throwing herself at a problem that she faced, engineering an incredible quality product that she is now selling a shit ton of around the world with huge plans for global domination, but doing it because she wants to show her kids what it means to be successful as an entrepreneur and to own your own destiny. But along her journey, similar to mine, Kelly has faced all kinds of barriers. Anxiety, being able to face your fears head on, pivot your business and go hard and show up Every single day with that same unique set of skill set, I don't find this very often and I absolutely adore when I do. So you guys are going to love this potty episode. We're going to jump into all kinds of cool topics, including just how much money she makes every day on Amazon in the US with her products and be prepared to sit down when you hear. here. Also about the paid marketing channels that are giving her $14 back from every dollar she spends on them and really even the concept of going global with a product thought of in little old Australia. Now, before I dive into this epic episode, you guys know I bring to you every week a product that I'm a little in love with at the moment. Now, this is not a paid sponsorship. This is just me sharing some really cool products back out with the world, wearing my super shopper hat, as well as my e-commerce expert hat. And well, this week, I've got a product that I recently discovered now, I'm actually interviewing Iris from the Quick Flick on our potty next week, but I took one of her quick screen products over to my Indonesian holiday with me, and I used it every day. And I think this is pretty cool and innovative. Basically, the branding is shit hot. The product is growing in size, all of her products actually, across every channel, supermarket, e-commerce, you name it, she's nailing it. But what I loved is the product is a spray on sunscreen for your face. It's actually a setting list. So I have a bit of a routine and I'm pretty religious with my nighttime and morning time routines with my skin. I reckon I got better skin at 44 than I had at 24, but I work hard for that. And every day I put a setting spray on my makeup before I head off on my day. And well, this one doubles up as a setting spray, a blue light defense, and a sunscreen. It's SPF 50 plus, and it smells freaking delicious. So go check out the Quick Flicks Quick Screen. Let's jump into our potty today. So, hello, beautiful women. And today on the podcast, I have one of my female crushes. I'm going to be really honest. I meet a lot of women in e commerce, and so many of them are, yes, inspiring and amazing. But sometimes I come across women who I just know have the magic ingredients to make something huge and are like out there every day hustling and getting their business to grow and have the balls behind it to make it happen. And Kelly from Clipstar is one of those people that I massively admire. And I am so honored to have you on the podcast today, Kel. Welcome. Oh, thanks, Lisa. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you. And I'm really excited in this podcast today to unravel some of the success strategies that you've used to really take an idea and do what we all dream of doing, which is to make it explode and grow. And of course, in your journey, There will have been some things that didn't go right and then there's a whole bunch of stuff that you were doing that is absolutely nailing it and I love to look at both sides. Let's start though with what is Clipster and why did you start to create it? Talk us through. Okay, well, I was a stay-at-home mum and I was really looking to do
1: something for me and I've always loved helping people and a problem came up for me that my son, I have three children, one of my kids losing his school hat. And when I would go and try and find his school hat, I was just overwhelmed with how many hats there were in the lost property every single day of the week. So I thought, this is a really easy problem I can fix. And so I did. I started by just doing really bodgy prototypes from materials from Spotlight. And that's how it started.
0: And so, when you came up with the idea for this and made a few prototypes, what made you think the idea would work? Like, how did you do your market research and test that people would pay for this idea?
1: I guess the research was looking initially at how many school kids wear hats. And then, as my girlfriend started saying to me, actually, I want a product like that. Like, whenever I go overseas, I've got to carry my hat. And, um, You know, when you start looking out for things like, for example, you get a blue car and all you see is blue cars or you're pregnant and everybody seems to be pregnant. I just kept seeing hats everywhere and I would literally be at the airport. In fact, this happened just coming back from Melbourne. There was a guy in the airport wearing three hats and that's because he doesn't want to hold them and he doesn't want to stuff them in his bag. And that happens all the time. So I kind of thought I was onto a good thing. So then I engaged an industrial designer. And an industrial designer makes a product obviously better than my dodgy prototypes, but also they make it manufacturable. So they'll really help you with material selection and making it easy and affordably manufactured.
0: And then uh, I've noticed, I guess, that you – market heavily towards adults now. So how did the school children go? And I know when we design and launch a business into the world, sometimes our audience changes over time. Like talk to us about who is your perfect avatar now?
1: Sure. So what happened, why we suddenly became more of an adult brand was that I got a phone call from Akubra. It was the director of marketing at Cubra and I nearly fell off my chair and he said, look, we've heard about your clips and they sound amazing. We'd like to test them. Can you send us some samples? And I said, sure. When I picked myself up, I was like,
0: I think you had, yeah, yeah.
1: And then they tested for about four months and they got in contact with me and they said, these are amazing. We want to sell them in all our stores. We'll put them on our website. So we're the only non Akuba branded product. I know. It just blows me away even now. And that's just one story. There are so many stories. So I guess what I'm saying is the market found me and I listened. So really, yeah, exactly what you were saying, you've got this perception of what's going to happen with your product, with your brand, but if you're listening and prepared to pivot, then you just progress so much
0: quicker. Oh, Kel, this is like one of the biggest business lessons I think any female founder can ever face themselves with, which is what I call looking for flow. And I see it all the time. So many brand owners think that their idea for business is a good one, and sometimes it is, and sometimes they hang on to something. With grit determination, absolutely determined that this thing will work and there's just no flow. And I love this idea that when we're looking for examples in the world of deals that'll show up or interest from media or from, you know, UGC creation or even just orders on the website, right? We have to actually ask everyone else and the world and people who buy stuff if they agree with us about whether this is a good idea or not. And then you are a hundred percent right. We have to listen. We have to not be so busy that we're not paying attention to what's selling and what's not selling. And I think a lot of brand owners that have a big SKU range are probably not necessarily paying a lot of attention to this. But in your case, you have a very specific product and you were looking for where to flow show up. And I love this. Has that also been your experience?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Just listen. So I'm also incredibly curious and that really makes me want to want to
0: learn. So let's go back to an industrial engineer and your first prototype and manufacturing in Australia, because I am a really big fan of manufacturing in Australia, but it's not an option for a lot of people. We don't have a lot of manufacturing here. We've let a lot of it go offshore, and it's often not price competitive for people to manufacture onshore. But talk us through how that went for you in terms of designing a product and going into production here and keeping your costs competitive by producing in Australia.
1: So you're right, it's not an easy thing, but it was something that I was really, really passionate about. And I could have gone to market a lot quicker had I have gone offshore, but for some reason, and I've learned not to question these things anymore, I've just trusted my gut. And it was difficult. I would get on the phone. People would be, one, they wouldn't understand the product. And because don't forget, when I launched my hat clip, literally people would say to me, "Well, if you don't want to lose your hat, just put it on your head. Wrong with you? You know, so they just didn't get it at all. Now I'm having the last laugh. So I was just on the phone, you know, and I had a lot of no's. I really did have a lot of no's. And sometimes I thought I was going to get a yes, like I'd actually be there, I'd be getting on really well with the, you know, factory owner. And they just got, we just don't see it. And that was heartbreaking. Anyway, I persisted. So the thing about manufacturing in Australia is that they want volume because you've got to set up. It's expensive to set up manufacturing. And that's a hard thing to do when you're just taking a punt on something. Luckily, we grew very quickly and our manufacturer has seen what an opportunity it is and has helped us with automatic Automation means that your product is kind of more affordable to manufacture because the most expensive stuff is labor, right? That's where you Really saving money is when you do offshore manufacturing. If you can reduce that labor as much as possible, then you can be on par, but it is still expensive.
0: And how does it work for you now in terms of production? Do you like batch produce a whole stack of stuff and then it just sits in a warehouse for a while, or are you constantly producing new batches of products?
1: We are constant. We actually have trouble keeping up, so we do over 40,000 units a month. I know, which is incredible. That's just one product, actually, and we're now just about to launch our third product and we'll have at least another three products by the end of the year. So it is constant and our product goes all over the world. So we have to make sure that both warehouses are in stock. As you know, we sell a lot on Amazon. That has to be looked after as well. You do not want to go out of stock for them. We're also now getting more and more distributors. We mentioned before, you know, we have a distributor in New Zealand. We've just got one in Southeast Asia, in South America. And a lot of these are markets I did not even dream of being in. But I guess that's the power of social media and word of mouth and tribal influences. And, you know, people see the product and go,
0: I want to sell that. And that's the power, Kel. If we're really honest here, in my opinion, that's the power of a product that meets a problem that people face that there doesn't have a lot of competition out there. So for you, you've solved a problem for people and therefore it's attractive globally for people to find it and then realize they need it in their own country. So this is, I guess, this perseverance and tenacity piece that I'm so inspired with you about. You touched on it earlier about manufacturing and how easy it would be to take a bunch of no's as a no. And I can relate to this with my nappy brand. It took me two and a half years of R&D and a whole bunch of no's to the point where I ended up bringing in a compostable resin company to work with manufacturers because I kept saying yes like yes you can and everyone kept saying no no we can't and I think there's a certain element of a she compreneur that is super successful a key ingredient here is tenacity it's perseverance it's not taking no as an actual answer it's continuing to pick up the phone and keep bringing other people who might know other people who might suggest someone and you keep making new phone call after new phone call after new phone call almost like a journalist or something where you're like on a story, like a hound dog, right? Until you get your answer. And it sounds to me very much like that's been a strength of yours as well, Kel. Oh,
1: exactly. That's exactly what it is. I am very, very tenacious, but I'm also really learning to be more resilient. I mean, you just have to be in business. You know, we can sit here and go, oh, this business is amazing. And You know, isn't she lucky she developed a product and it did really well. It is a roller coaster. Every single day is a roller coaster. There are so many moving parts and that's amazing. And some days it's just really scary. But I'm learning to be a lot more resilient. I always get back up again. So, you know, so far so good. And I'm really learning to sit with fear and not let it stop me. So I guess my word this year was to be brave. And being brave is just amazing. Consciously deciding to be brave is unbelievable because it doesn't stop the fear from happening. It's still there, but it's not stopping you. And once you're unstoppable, what can't you do?
0: Oh, I can't even tell you how much I love this. Because you've just hit the nail on the head of another key ingredient in a really successful female brand owner, and that is bravery. Like We have to be brave. And I have a bunch of little sayings that sit in my head all the time, and one of them is fortune favors the brave. And I think that we really have to develop a certain amount of aptitude to not letting fear stop us or slow us down. And I'm sure there's many nodding heads right now, women listening to the potty, who understand that fear can cripple us it can paralyze us and it can make us contract. I mean, I think fear in and of itself is a very contracting emotion, but the opposite is actually required when we face fear, which is that we expand, we get brave, which is to really be courageous and go outward more and actually face the fear and feel it, but do it anyway. That's my experience of it. And I'm Thick in this at the moment with SheCom and with a whole bunch of other projects I've got on the go. I have to be brave and I'm self funding my whole business. And we're a team of 22 now. I have no loans. I have no investors. I'm doing 100% of this on my own. And I think that takes big balls. Like my husband takes his hat off all the time and says, You know, wife, you have a massive amount of bravery to pull this off. It's like, I couldn't do what you're doing. And I think the same of you, Kel. Like I think facing fear is a real set of skills. Like, Tell me, how did you develop the skills to have thicker skin and to really power through fear?
1: I guess I kind of thought of what my goals are and I have pretty big goals. And it's realizing that unless I address that fear, am I happy for those goals not to be reached? Am I happy to have gone partway through the journey and then given up? Yeah, that's been really important is looking at what my goals are. Why am I doing this? I want to show my kids that you can have absolutely no experience whatsoever for just a passion to do something like me. And as long as you've got that passion and you're prepared to put in the hard work, you literally are unstoppable. And you know, it makes me happy. And I want to inspire other people if that's what they want to do. I want to show them you don't have to have any skills. I had no e-commerce skills. I'm terrible at sales. I'm not salesy at all, but I'm doing a pretty good job. I
0: reckon anyone if they put in the work. It can be so frustrating and time consuming to try and find out which couriers offer the best deal. ShipStation integrates with over 200 shopping carts, marketplaces, and carriers, and provides you guys with savings of up to 58% across Sendle, Couriers Please, and Aramex rates here in Australia so that you can avoid bottlenecks and find the best rate with ease. If you're a multi-channel seller, you can use ShipStation to integrate your store and marketplaces such as Etsy, Amazon, and eBay funnel, or you can connect straight to your drop Shipper or 3PL provider with easy automation rules. Head to shipstation.com. Slash AU and enter the code success for a bonus 30 days access and make your shipping faster, easier, and more affordable. You're doing an amazing job. Let's talk about feelings for a moment. One of the things that I feel as a woman in e-com, and you, you even mentioned a gut instinct earlier, is that we're, as a species, I'm going to call it, we're a bit more empathic and thin-skinned than men. The masculine way is to be a bit more thick-skinned and bulldoze your way through stuff. But women, we're generally not quite the same build as that. We tend to feel things. So if you get trolling online, we really take that to heart. If a deal doesn't come our way or somebody backs out at the 11th hour or funding doesn't come through, it can like absolutely steamroll depression and anxiety and it can unhinge us for days. I have been known to crawl into my bed and hide under my doodah in the middle of the day while I try and process something that may have come my way. How do you handle it? Well, first of all, I'm exactly the same. And my husband
1: knows when we get hit with something, because you know, this business is my baby. I literally I will allow myself to have two days of, you know, sometimes not even getting out of bed, just like I'm just wallowing in this. But then I get up and I work out how I'm gonna move on because that's the only way, really. So exactly feel all the feels, be really down, wallow in that fear. And then stand up and work out how you're going to move forward. And for me, that's exactly going back to my why. Why am I doing this? You know, being proud of myself. I'm providing Australians with jobs. I'm, you know, showing my kids what to do. I'm, you know, there's there's lots of things that I should be proud of. And I'm saying that as someone who actually finds that quite difficult to say. And then I have to remind myself
0: of, which is probably a little different to guys as well. Right. Because women, it's almost like a given that we're supposed to be humble, right? That we actually can't be all gloaty or egoic about our successes. And I think we find that really hard. I do. I I actually got a tattoo on my hip the other day and it says three things, choose kindness, be present, and stay humble. And they're my three mottos this year to the point where they're only tiny writing and it's on my hip under my swimmers, but it's my mantra this year to, to retain those things and the stay humble is a reminder to me that it's great to show confidence and success, but equally we should stay humble. But I also think women maybe stay too humble sometimes and are not good at showing confidence in something.
1: Yeah, I love that you say that. My values that I have to go back to all the time to remind myself, you know, when I'm losing my way, a curiosity, we, we spoke about that before, bravery, kindness. And authenticity, like it's really important to remember who I am. And there are so many ways to do a, a business. And at the beginning, I would be like, "I'm failing at this. I'm rubbish. You're meant to do this. How did I not know that? I should have done that. Could have, would have, shoulda. I did it my way. And that's why I love. I know you talk about girl crushes a lot, but there's someone called Sarah Blakely. A lot of you, I'm sure, will know who she is. But She's amazing, absolutely amazing. And the main thing that I love about her business is that she's always herself and she's married to a crazy eccentric guy and she just doesn't care what other people think, but she's also really beautiful. She's not an asshole. She's really gorgeous. And um, anyway, that's my girl crush. But what she's taught me is that you do it your way. And another thing that you touched on there was ego. I didn't even realize how much ego I had until... I created this business. And really, if you want to be successful in business, you need to put your ego at the door. You need to really stop thinking that this is all about you and your rights and this is the way to do it and how dare they and listen, listen and put your ego away because the world has a lot to tell you.
0: I love it. You're absolutely right. Not copying anyone else's journey, but being bold and authentic in the world. And showing up every day, that's just an insanely important asset for a female to develop and understand about themselves. But also, you know, back to the harding under the Duna for two days. Like I definitely have moments like this. And I actually ask myself sometimes when I go to bed at night, did I take at least one step forward today? Even if today felt like a failure on some level, can I consciously say by doing the a million things I did today, was one of them a step forward? And, and I can pretty much never go to bed without saying, yeah, I took a step forward. And I think it's really important to recognize that everything in the world that comes our way is figureoutable. There's nothing that we're going to hit that doesn't have some kind of solve. And it may be, just maybe it's a left turn instead of a right turn. And sometimes they can look like a failure, but in all those instances, I can look back at them and see that perhaps there was a reason why that deal didn't come through or that person let me down because actually there was something better waiting. And it's figureoutable, just show up again the next day, every day is a fresh day, new smile, new outlook, don't let it get you down. And that's that resilience piece for me. Has that been your experience as well, Kell? Absolutely.
1: Definitely. And some of those days when you were saying that, you know, always moving forward, some of those days on the, you know, on the bad days, the not so good days, moving forward is just not giving up. You know, if you're still in the game, you're still on your way there, you know, and some days that's as good as it gets. But yeah, you, you need a lot of resilience and you need to realize that it's a long game being in business. I mean, I guess it depends what business you're in. My business, I used to feel like, oh, it's a race. And if I've made a bad decision, that's going to impact the results that eventually that I'll get to. But actually, it's a long game, you know, and I'm learning. And I love what you said too about when you think that things are going to go a certain way and they don't and you're like, oh, that's terrible. In my experience, there is always a silver lining. And actually, my worst disasters have made me pivot in a way that made us much more profitable. So do not
0: be scared of disaster. I completely agree. So look for silver linings, ladies. Write it on a post-it note and stick it on your wall right now because silver linings are everything. We could talk about this all day because this is a topic so close to my heart. But let's switch over to some more strategic topics now. I'm super curious about your growth in Australia closely followed by your growth in the U.S. And what sparked your desire to grow beyond the Australian market? And then how did that look for you when you moved into the U.S.? I guess what sparked it was that I have big number goals,
1: not because I'm particularly greedy or, you know, I want to be a squealing there, but why not? I'm really aware that, you know, I mean, I'm 51, I've got three kids, Why the hell not? So I guess my thing about going to the States was it just would amplify my business. And so that's why it was always, even when I first started, it was on my radar. And a lot of people thought that was crazy. They're like, what are you talking about, the U.S.? But from day one, I did. So, yeah.
0: So let's be clear then. I love to reframe where I see it. You've gone, Australia and the U.S., really early in your journey for numbers because A lot of businesses, and there'll be a lot of nodding heads right now, operate on a volume basis. And the greater the volume, the more benefit there is to the business, not just in revenue and profitability, but also in scale for manufacturing. So people underestimate sometimes how important it is to grow your sales as quickly as you possibly can, because it gets you a lot of scalability with your manufacturer that can reduce your per unit cost for production. And it can at least give you Much more real time production of products. So, talk me through moving into the US. Like a lot of our Australian brands are super keen to sell in the US. It sounds a lot like the gold medal winner take a product from Australia and sell it in the US. But what was your actual experience like with regards to Amazon, which is a bit of a beast, and then even selling into the American market, which is a different environment to accept a product?
1: Okay. So, the address of our website is um, clipster.com. So, I think straight away, We had a lot of American customers because they just thought we were American. I knew that when you have a brand, what you need to do very quickly is get as many eyeballs on your product as possible. And the way that we did that was we did a lot of advertising. And so we were getting a lot of customers from the US straight away. And then what happened was that we started getting copycats. That was not pleasant, but this is a silver lining. So we got these copycats and they were on Amazon I would get them taken off and they'd pop back up again. And then I discovered some software that showed me how much money they were making on Amazon. And I was like, what? If you can't beat them, join them. So they were making like 50,000 US a month, really bad copies of our product. So we went on. So that was a perfect example of a disaster What I thought was going to kill our business actually being incredible because we do quite well on Amazon. So oh, I've also done a US trade show. So I've done New York now and we're in lots of US shops. But to be honest with you, the shops have approached us. That's even the same here. We have not actually actively, other than trade shows, we don't actually actively pursue shops. And that's a real missed opportunity on our part. And as we are getting bigger, that's what we're concentrating on now. So currently... Our business is about 75% e-com and 25% wholesale, and we were really going to scale that up this year. That's what we're working on.
0: Right. Well, one of the hidden benefits to wholesale that I discovered a long time ago with my nappy brands is that it becomes another channel of marketing for you. So when somebody goes to a little boutique homeware store in a small country town on their Saturday and finds your product and maybe buys one for themselves, The next time they need to buy a bunch of Christmas presents, they think I should buy my whole family at Clipster because it's such a great present to give others. So it often drives traffic back to your website to its awareness and it's a form of marketing and it's such a clever way of approaching it. And I'm a massive fan. I think wholesalers are very underutilized resource for a lot of brands that produce their own products.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And we're very lucky to be in some amazing shops, like just pinch me moments. The thing about those shops that stands out is that they really love their customers and their customers see that. And because of that, they automatically trust our product because it's there. It's being loved by the shop that they love. So, yeah, there's a lot of really positive stuff to get from wholesale. And of course, there's that wonderful feeling of walking into stores. For me, it was recently the Art Gallery of New South
0: Wales, you know, this gorgeous brand new building and, and there were my products. And I'm like, <laughs> Congratulations. That is a good feeling. I I can relate. My daughter, Maya, who's now 12 and acts 19. When she was two, she was actually the face of one of our sizes of nappies. And I have lots of moments where I've taken Maya into shops over the years and she's seen herself on the shelf. And I've got photos of her like pointing at herself on the shelf. And it's kind of definitely pinch me moments. It's a very exciting thing. I'd love to talk a little about South America for a moment. You talked about going into other markets that were perhaps unexpected and I was recently at online retailer chatting to a whole bunch of super cool software platforms and trade exhibitors from around the world. And I got chatting to one particular brand that is part owned by Shopify. And they mentioned that Mexico at the moment has a 60% increase in retail sales on e-commerce this year, whereas so many other markets are either negative or flat. And I thought that was such an interesting observation or reflection of statistics to show us that there are markets around the world that are catching up to the fact that you can buy online and there's opportunities there. So how has South America looked for you? Is there anything that you've observed there? Well, it's very new for us. Absolutely.
1: I mean, we do sell in Mexico, so we do have a channel there already. But in terms of being approached by a distributor and a really big distributor over there was just, you know, completely unexpected. And you're right, we're so U.S centric I guess my products you know my main product my hat tip really makes it easy for people to bring a hat with them wherever they go and a lot of these countries are really hot and they like to keep their skin quite light as well so you know it's a no-brainer it's an absolute no-brainer it's a really healthful product for people in those countries but as I said I would love to say oh I really cleverly and strategically organized that I didn't I've been approached And if I'm honest, every single one of our distributors, they've approached us. But that's the beauty. You know, it's like you've got to be out there putting in the work for the luck to come. So I've been at trade shows. So that's where they've seen me. All customers have spoken about us
0: because, you know, we're in shops. We're there for the opportunities to come to us. And tell our audience today how you would understand if a distributor was legitimate or not because you know when i had my nappy brand we would get emails almost every week from random people around the world who were like i want to take your product into taiwan i want to take your product into you know all these kind of opportunities would appear but how do you know what's legitimate and what's not what's your process for determining real distributors versus pretend distributors or fake people
1: basically speaking to their customers so looking at their, you know, the materials that they're giving you, having a look online at the shops that they're in and then contacting those shops. Yeah, contacting those brands. I do a lot of research for things. It's That, to me, is just a no-brainer. Yeah, so do your research because there are people, particularly when we're in New York now, we had people left, right and centre saying, oh, we'll be your agent, we'll be your... But, you know, unless I know
0: that other good brands are with them, I'm just not interested.
1: So that's how I do it.
0: References and research. I love it. It's just that reminder again to that tenacity of what we have to do as entrepreneurs is look at every opportunity, but research it. And I always ask for references when I work with third parties from overseas. I'm always looking for two to three references of people that I could look to and trust. And then I want to know that they had good experiences with that third party. I think that's a really valuable piece of advice. Yeah.
1: And just going back to what I said before about ego, putting your ego at the door. So one of the things that I do is that I'll if there are brands that I really respect, I'll call them, or I'll go and visit them at a trade show and say, "Look, this is what I'm trying to do. you've done this. Have you got any advice? Have you you know I've got no problem with being the newbie, the person that doesn't know anything. And I find that most people, most brands have been absolutely gorgeous,
0: you know. I agree completely. It's also a massively underutilized thing that a she-compreneur can do, which is actually just to pick up the phone and ring your competitors or other brands that you crush on and ask them. I've always done that and I'm always surprised by how few people do that. I regularly will say to a client or some amazing woman, I know, hey, they're doing this, go talk to them. And I don't know if they ever do or not, but I'm like, what have you got to lose? They can just say no. But what if they say yes, and they share a whole bunch of experience they've had that solved their problem that could help you solve your problem way quicker than sitting around trying to figure out on their own. So I love that you do that too.
1: And you're amazing at that, Lisa. Like you're a real connector. You're like, I think you can learn from you and you can learn from them. And, you know, we're all here to, to help
0: each other, you know. A hundred percent. I agree on that. I know what it's like to get stuck in your business every day, like a little mouse on a wheel, building, 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 and forget that it takes coming out of your business sometimes in order to blow it up. And I'm going to give you a personal invite to the best event of the year. It is called SheCon Live. It is on the Gold Coast, 6 and 7 September, and this is your personal invite to come and join us for the week of your life. Because at this event, we're going to have 500 amazing women just like you. We're going to have 30 speakers hit the stage over two and a half days. And we are going to knock your socks off in terms of fun, connection, inspiration, and doable strategies so that you go home at the end of a couple of days with an exact framework of how you can blow up certain aspects of your brand and a completely full cup. So head to SheCom.co and check out our SheCom Live event and grab your ticket today before it sells out to come and join us for the week of your life. Let's switch focus again a little. I'd love to talk about logistics. So in your situation, your products are quite small and light, which is amazing, but you still have volume issues to do with logistics. And I'd love to know, I believe you have a warehouse in Melbourne and is it San Diego? And are you doing FBA with Amazon or talk us through how you've handled your logistics?
1: Ah, okay, well, I'll talk about how we set it up, why we set it up. So when we launched originally, so it was 2020 and we were in COVID, I'd never done any of this stuff before, obviously. And straight away, we were getting sales from the US and we would send them out via Australia post originally and then send all, and they were taking like three weeks. In America, that does not fly. You know, you, It's like you've killed someone's grandmother. They are angry instantaneous orders please so I was like oh my god I've got to do something about this because at that time I took everything personally how could I let this happen I'm letting them down I feel so terrible you know so it was looking at 3PLs we tried a few 3PLs and you know we were just very much a number and so it was you know word of mouth speaking to people who can help us what can we do so, we have to make sure we have hundreds of thousands of magnets that do have to come in from China because they are the only place that make neodymium magnets. So, they come by sea, and then we have to, as quickly as possible, get 40,000 units out a month. And, you know, this is not ideal, but we fly everything. So, that is not great. That is not great for the environment. I'm not too happy about that. And also, cost it's a lot more expensive to fly than to put stuff in a container. So that is something in the next six months that we are looking at changing that. But um, yeah, it's just we need to get a lot of stock. We're lucky to have that problem. I recognize that. But yeah, stock needs to be everywhere that it is quickly. Now we've got to get it to South America
0: and Southeast Asia and New Zealand. and Right. Shipping is a, I think logistics and the supply chain process to do with manufacturing through to warehousing through to getting it to a customer is a very complex topic. And I think a lot of brands perhaps don't reflect back upon better ways to do it. I think almost a quarterly audit of seeing what your costs actually look like, how you might be able to negotiate better costs across the board from the time that the original raw materials are delivered to your manufacturer. I mean, with my nappies, we were actually negotiating on behalf of our manufacturer directly to their raw material suppliers because there's so many components to a nappy. We were looking at locking in advanced orders 12 months in advance to get our supply costs lower right through to your, you know, last mile delivery just about. How do we constantly audit and check on costs and also best practice? So are you using 3PL or are they your own warehouses, Kel? We've
1: well, got a relationship with them. So they are a 3PL, but for example, in Melbourne, it's just our product, you know, so they're contracted.
0: And what about, are you doing your Amazon orders in the US through Fulfilled by Amazon?
1: They are Fulfilled by Amazon and we also have an agency. If you want to be successful on Amazon, do not do it yourself. You know, we have a very large ad spend on social media and Google ads and all that sort of stuff. We also have that same thing on Amazon and we have an agency that looks after us and, you know, it costs about $4,000 US a month, but we like 10 times that. So it's definitely, definitely worth getting an agency because Amazon is tricky. It's really tricky. It sounds easy. Put your pictures up. There is a lot to it and I would not recommend
0: doing it yourself. No, actually people ask me regularly because I'm an e-commerce expert. Like, what do you think of Amazon? And I'm like, I know nothing about Amazon. And I think the coaches that are Amazon experts know nothing about e-commerce and the e-commerce coaches know nothing about Amazon. It's like a whole behemoth beast that has an entirely different algorithm and set of criteria and desire that I honestly can hand on heart tell you I am no expert at Amazon I shop on Amazon so I'm a super shopper a prime shopper but I don't know I think Amazon 100% agree with you I think you have to have some pretty steep learning to make Amazon work for you yeah 100% Yep. amazing And then let's chat about advertising. So I would love to know what your experiences are. I'm going to say all of our women in e-com have a love-hate relationship with Facebook ads. I think there's a definite move towards the cost per customer acquisition being so much higher now than it was a few years ago. And that makes it very much a bit of an unstable method of top of funnel acquiring customers. What's been your experience with Facebook ads in the three years you've had your brand?
1: Absolutely not performing the way that they were. So I 100% agree. We're now seeing really good return on ad spend is Google. And you know, we've just gone on to YouTube. Did not expect that YouTube is fantastic. TikTok. Have you tried TikTok? Yeah, we're doing a bit of TikTok too. So in terms of advertising, yeah. we're having a lot better return on ad spend on those channels immediately. You know, we're talking, you know, some days it's a row as of nine, which means that for every dollar you're spending, you're getting nine back and it's been up to 14. So that's like old days of Facebook. So yeah, you know what? It really depends on your product too. And again, it's pivot, 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 listen. And the beauty of if you're on things like Shopify, like we are, is you have data. Data will tell you where your successes are, where your weaknesses are. And if you can kind of go into those numbers regularly, really helps you to make decisions about, you know, what you're going to do more of and what you just need to get rid of. Because we can have this feeling that, oh, no, no, this is all really working. This is great. But when you look at the numbers,
0: maybe not so much. So look at your data. I love it. There's so many things I want to say about what you just said, but let's just start with the 12 eggs in 12 baskets. So I talk a lot about this and I really want to make sure that everyone listening right now understands this completely. The brands that I see still growing right now in 2023 are those brands like Kelly at Clipstar who have multiple eggs in multiple baskets. So Google, yes, underutilized tool that most of you are probably too busy focusing on Facebook and haven't put enough time and money into Google. We see a lot of our clients have way more success with Google than Facebook. Testing Pinterest, YouTube, TikTok, there's so many other places to try and mix your paid ad spend across rather than just looking at one basket. And in your case, Kel, you totally have 12 eggs in 12 baskets. And that is so much safer as a brand than 12 eggs in one basket, which is what a lot of brands do. And it always worries me when I see brands who say, oh yeah, I've got a big Facebook ad spend. And I'm like, great, but what else do you do? And that's it. <laughs> right?
1: Thing. So I'm pretty clear that I've got four channels and I feel like I need to be across all of these just to One, to grow the brand, but also to safeguard the brand. So we obviously do e-commerce. We're expanding our wholesales. We are in hundreds of shops. We want to be in thousands of shops. We use platforms like Amazon, and we're just starting with Bear in the U.S., and we also use distributors and agents. So that kind of means that we're growing because it's not just us working on it. All of those platforms are working on it. The distributors are working on it. You know, you're kind of amplifying the whole
0: experience. It makes a more robust business, doesn't it? That amplification is tiring if you're the only one doing it. And I think having all of those other platforms also amplifying your brand, you know, people sometimes ask me around scaling a brand. There comes a point at which in your journey of growing revenues, we need to scale a brand. Say, let's talk about from 2 million to 10 million, right? Often the actual strategies that you use are not different. It's just that you're implementing little bits of optimization across every single one of those 12 eggs in 12 baskets. But because you have 12 baskets, each time each one doubles, that's a massive revenue boost to your bottom line. So scaling really is tweaking and optimizing all of those channels so that you're not the only one doing it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And a big thing for me too was realizing that actually I was becoming a bottleneck. In my business, because I, you know, I've got complete control and I've got to do everything and, and I really struggled with that. And I, you know, that's something that's changing. Getting more staffing, which I was really resisting, it's a game changer. I need to get out of the way. I mean, I'm still running the business, but I don't need to do everything.
0: And it's really freed me up to do the good stuff. I literally was having a great chat this week with um Nathan Bush, who has the Add to Cart podcast around this exact Love topic. Yeah, which is this exact topic, which is that so many women who are scaling brands become the cork in their own bottle. But more than that, when they recognize that they need to get out of the cork to allow more flow, which is having more team around you to do more so that everything isn't coming through you, what they often don't then get right at that point is that they don't understand the importance of hiring people that are better than you. So when we're in the early part of our journey, we hire under us because we're tight ass, right? So we're like, I'll just put a little freelancer on to do social media. I'll just get, you know, a mom from home to do customer service. And then there comes a point when you're doing multiple millions of dollars a year. And this is where I'm at with SheCom at the moment is that I'm actively hiring and growing my team with people that are way better than me at their jobs and their specific genius zones so that I actually make myself redundant. That's actually a clever business. Even though I want to retain the strategy and the ownership and the leadership of the team i want them to be so much better than me at their role. And I think that's also a really clever scaling strategy to get yourself out of the cork in the bottle.
1: Absolutely. And the reason you can do that is because you take an ego out of the equation. You're not thinking, I have to be the smartest one and everybody in this team has to be looking up to me and I need to be the... You're like, no, let's open this team up. Let's get fabulous people to do
0: that. Fabulous people to do that. And yet you don't need to be. 100%. And get them to buy into the why. You know, you and I talked on the podcast before we even hit live today and then during the podcast around our why. And, you know, your why is pretty clear. Three children want to show them what an empowered mom who hustles and can make it. And I think that's such an admirable thing. I have a similar why with my daughter. But I think having your team also buy into your why is a really important part because then, you know, the 10 o'clock at night call, they've got to make to get someone overseas, say yes to a deal. They're trying to pass across the line. They're not going to do it if they're not bought into the why or the mission of the brand. And I think that's also a really important aspect.
1: That is so true. I mean, I pinch myself every day. My team are incredible, like absolutely incredible. Yeah. So they, they're totally on board with the why. Yeah. I love it. Love it. I'm, I'm so blessed to
0: get to work with them every day. Amazing. Now, I could literally talk to you forever, but there's two things I want to ask before we finish the podcast today. And one is around proof. So I think for a brand, especially a new product in a new market where you're like the duck at the front of the V, proof becomes an incredibly important part of saying to people, hey, it's okay to pop 50 or 100 bucks on my website because here's the proof that my product is incredible. It's reputable. It's going to work. There's guarantees if it doesn't. And I know on your website, you have a stack of reviews. So talk to me about how important proof has been and how you've been able to get that many reviews on your site and how it's impacted sales.
1: Yeah. I mean, proves everything. I don't know about you, but I rarely even go to a restaurant anymore without having a look at the reviews. Yeah. I realized pretty early on that we need, I mean, I knew that we had really happy customers, but it was important to show the world that. So I use an app called Stamped.io. There are lots of them out there and it basically is just a, a flow so that after after someone has bought from you, they get the opportunity to write a review. And then it pops up on your website and it's gold. It is absolutely gold. I wouldn't imagine not having
0: reviews on my website. So a lot of our listeners do use stamp.io. There's a number of reviews platforms that we talk about in our things as well. But would you say that by following the automation processes within the app to ask for reviews, that's been your primary way to grow the reviews? People love your product and they're happy to offer them up?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like I'm blown away. The other good thing about having reviews on your site Because if you're ever having a shitty day, which I often do, if I open up my website and read those reviews, I'm like, oh my God, I remember why I'm doing this. You know, I'm helping people. It's just amazing. You know, it can totally change your day around. So um,
0: Mm -hmm. reviews are non-negotiable. You've got to have them on your website. Amazing. And then I would love to ask you as our final question on the potty today, we always talk about our econ brand crushes. And you're absolutely one of my brand crushes, by the way. But I I regularly put my Super Shopper hat on and I buy a lot of stuff online. I'm quite a consumer, if you like. But I want to know from you, Kel, who are your brand crushes when it comes to e-commerce?
1: Well, I mentioned Sarah Blakely and her business is Spanx. One that I've looked at recently, purely because we're about to launch a new website. So I've really been looking at websites recently. And there's a website called Bed Threads that does beautiful linen bedclothes, they do such a beautiful job of presenting an enormous amount of product in such a seamless and not an overwhelming way so that people can shop you know, through all of those products, put their own bundles together, and it looks beautiful and
0: seamless. I, I just think it's genius. How clever. It is true. You know, nobody's ever mentioned this specifically with a brand crush before, but looking for a brand crush that has a really wide skew variety, but makes it seamless. That's actually quite a trick in e-commerce.
1: It really is. Yeah, because you're trying to make it as easy as possible for the customer to buy. And if you have a whole heap of skews, that's really tricky. You don't want them just scrolling through. So they do a beautiful job of making life easy
0: for the customer. And that's what we're all about. Amazing. So listeners, go check out Bed Threads. And on behalf of everybody who's enjoyed today's podcast, Kelly, I want to thank you for coming on. I know for me, I could talk for hours with you about life and balancing being a mom and running a business and the perseverance that it takes to do so, but we're out of time for today. So we'll just have to have you back and get a take two in 12 months' time. We can see how your journey's been over the next year as you continue to scale and grow and bring out more products. And I look forward to seeing you for a hug somewhere soon. Me too, Lisa. It's been great and I'm always very happy to come back. Amazing. Thanks so much, Kel. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of She Talks Ecommerce. If you loved this episode, be sure to click follow because the episode we have next week is one you won't want to miss. And if you're ready to work on your e-commerce business but aren't sure where to start, then use the links in the show notes to book your free strategy call with our coaching team today and let us help you to blow up your sales. Until next time, my friend, have a wonderful week ahead.